So read the whole of Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand, beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portal she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields. Or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was his daily delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons... Listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Amen. Well, we're going to spend the next few minutes uh, thinking about that chapter from Proverbs, chapter 8 of, of Proverbs together. And before we do that, though, I'm going to ask for, for God's help of us. Uh, let's pray.
James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Our God and Father, we ask very simply that over the next few minutes, as we study your word together, you would please give us wisdom. We ask it for our joy and for your glory, and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, how much do you long to be wise? If, if I were to ask you, for example, to make a list of your own priorities in life, I wonder how high growing in wisdom would be on that list. I think it's fair to say that wisdom is, is generally understood to be a, a good thing in our culture. So if you ever hear someone being described as, as having a wise head or, or being a wise old owl, that's usually meant as a positive thing. But even though it is generally seen as a positive, it isn't necessarily something that people want to pursue for themselves. It's often understood to be something that, that certain people have, maybe as a result of, of having lived an eventful life or, or a long life, perhaps but not something you should aspire to grow in. And yet the book of Proverbs would tell us otherwise. We've seen in this evening series over the past few weeks, in fact, that this whole book resulted from someone who wanted wisdom more than anything else. The Proverbs were written, or many of them at least, by Solomon. And if you don't know who Solomon is, Solomon was the son of King David in the Bible. Solomon latterly himself became king over God's people Israel. And in a book of the Bible called First Kings, we read that God granted Solomon one wish. Solomon was allowed to wish for anything he desired in the whole world. And what did he choose? First Kings chapter 3 verse 9. Give your servant an understanding mind. To govern your people, asked Solomon, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? The many things that Solomon might have asked for, he asked for an understanding mind. He asked for wisdom. And I wonder if you would do similar if you were in his shoes. And uh, just to be clear, I'm not asking that as a hypothetical question because, you see, this evening we are effectively going to be put into his shoes, not by being granted one wish, but by being, well, confronted really with a choice. A choice about whether we are going to prioritize pursuing wisdom or not. Now, that's a big idea. It's a big invitation in the book of Proverbs as a whole. But it's made with particular directness, particular force in our passage this evening. Because chapter 8 of Proverbs introduces us to a new character in one sense, to wisdom personified, who is called Lady Wisdom. And as chapter 8 begins, Lady Wisdom makes a direct call to each of us listening to grow in wisdom. And as the rest of the chapter unfolds, Solomon's objective is to persuade us that we really should be answering that call, that wisdom is worth pursuing. That's the train of logic, and we're just going to follow it through now. We'll think about that firstly under the heading, Lady Wisdom is Calling, verses 1 to 5. Will you answer? 
Now, there are different methods of advertising a particular product, aren't there? Even without knowing much about marketing, we know that companies use several different approaches towards trying to sell stuff to us. Some companies try to bury a catchy tagline in your mind, so you carry it with you long after you've finished watching the advert. Think of the Compare the Market Meerkats, for example. I only need to say one word to bring those ads to most of our minds, and it isn't even a real word. Simples. Other brands try to identify themselves with the success of a star, with an outstanding star in their field. They try and benefit from from reflected glory. Think of the sports brand Nike, who had uh, great success attaching themselves to Michael Jordan and then to Tiger Woods in the 90s and the 2000s. For my money, though, there really is no substitute to the old-fashioned approach to marketing a project, which is just to make sure that you see it everywhere. On billboards, radio and TV ads, on t-shirts, nowadays on social media, everywhere you turn, in every possible public space, the product is there. And uh, Lady Wisdom, it seems, is of the old school when it comes to getting her message out there. Read with me again, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Everywhere you turn, Lady Wisdom is calling. And she's calling, notice, in the most public places possible. Calling from the heights means that she can be heard from everywhere. Similarly, the crossroads and the gates are the busiest parts of an ancient town. The picture is of wisdom making her call to people in such a public way that you can't possibly miss her. And as I've already mentioned, the big question that will leave each one of us with this evening is, are we going to answer that call? Will we answer Lady Wisdom? And yet the product that Lady Wisdom is selling... It might seem, not seem all that attractive at first glance. I wonder if you thought that too. At verse 5. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. No matter how good your advertising campaign is, trying to get people to, to buy into learning prudence or to learning sense, well, it's tough going, isn't it? They seem like fairly underwhelming products. And yet as we carry on through Proverbs 8... Well, we're we're really shown that they really aren't. The sales pitch gets stronger and stronger. It's actually a three-punch advertising campaign, if you like, and we're going to trace each of those punches in the time that we have. The first of those comes in verses 6 to 21, and it is, listen to Lady Wisdom's call because she is incomparably valuable. Now, we've defined wisdom in this series as navigating well through life lived in God's world. And there is a sense in which that kind of wisdom, well, it can be a sort of morally neutral thing, at least up to a certain point. So an investment banker, for example, they can make wise investments. They can take into account the various ways in which markets tend to work. Or a doctor, whether a Christian or not, can make a wise decision in how best to treat a patient. Wisdom isn't necessarily a a purely ethical or or, or moral category, and yet it very often has a distinctly moral flavor to it. 
And that flavor is part of this first punch of Lady Wisdom's advertising campaign. On the one hand, wisdom itself, we're told, is morally positive. Verse 7. All the words of my mouth, that is the mouth of Lady Wisdom, are righteous. That is a moral or ethical category. So wisdom is is, is a morally virtuous kind of thing. But on the other hand, wisdom hates evil. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And that does help us, I think, to frame wisdom more clearly. See, wisdom isn't the same thing as, as morality. We've said that quite a few times through the series. But it isn't anything less than that. And very often the decisions that we make that will involve exercising wisdom, and that often seem, at least on first glance, to be morally neutral, well, they do often have moral or ethical implications. And actually that much is clear from the life of Solomon. I mentioned him earlier. We've already seen in First Kings chapter 3 that Solomon, when he was given the choice, he chose wisdom. And and just notice how it is that he describes that. What is it that Solomon actually asks God for? He says, give your servant an understanding mind that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this year great people? So Solomon's wisdom has has a moral dimension. It deals with what's good and what's bad. And uh, the opposite could also be said. Because later in his life, Solomon was a fool. And that foolishness, well, it cashed out in very much moral categories. He knew what God would have him do, and he ignored it. He married multiple women, for example. He had multiple concubines, many of whom worshipped idols, and Solomon ended up down a very rocky road. And Solomon's life, therefore, illustrates the nature of wisdom. In one sense, it can help us to make decisions about sort of morally ambiguous issues, but it can also have a distinctly right and a wrong dynamic to it too. And actually, I wonder if many of us won't really need much convincing of that, just from our own life experience. Many of us, as we look back on decisions we've made in life, well, some of us would rather not, in fact. We can see the folly of the decisions we might have made. And that folly often ended up being woven into impure motives or, or impure outboxes. Out Think of the, the financial decisions perhaps made that in themselves weren't necessarily immoral. They didn't involve stealing from anyone, for example. Perhaps it just involved cutting corners. And soon the lines between sort of ethical black and white areas became pretty grey. And before you knew it, you'd slid into what was, was clearly very, very murky water. See, we know instinctively that lacking in wisdom often comes truck and trailer with immorality. It is just worth saying that God offers grace wonderfully even to the unwise. And in fact, his grace is most often needed by the unwise, by people who've made foolish choices in life. So I'll just lay that out there this evening, actually. If the call that we received this evening from Lady Wisdom only serves to highlight the various ways in which you've spurned that kind of wisdom throughout your life and have borne the cost of that sort of folly, well, don't despair. Because he knows, and he still loves you. 
the wisest thing that any of us can do is to ask for his grace. To forgive even a fool like you and like me. And we can be sure that he hears us when we cry out to him. Now, so far we've seen that wisdom has some kind of moral dimension to it, but still, it isn't entirely clear why we should want it, why this product that Lady Wisdom's selling is actually worth us buying. I did say that that's what Lady Wisdom is doing in this chapter. She's persuading us of wisdom's work, and that is what she's doing just to convince you. She says as much. Notice with me verse 10. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is valuable. It's more valuable than silver, than gold, than precious jewels, she says. But I do think it's worth holding that sort of moral dimension in mind as we read what comes next. Because as well as having moral implications, Lady Wisdom says that that wisdom's worth pursuing because it is the way to truly flourish as a human being. Notice that with me. Just read verse 18 and following. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Now, there is a lot going on there, I know. But to tease it apart for a second... Lady Wisdom says that with wisdom come riches and honor, enduring wealth, fruit that's better than choice gold and choice silver, an inheritance that fills your treasuries. And all of those are very tangible things, aren't they? They're tangible pictures of of material blessing, of someone listening to God's words, God's wisdom, and being rewarded with stuff, riches and silver and money. And there are some people who use these verses to argue that if you fear God and pursue his wisdom, then, then, then that's going to be yours, that, that he will give you all that stuff in the here and now. And actually, in Solomon's day, that seemingly was part of the dynamic when he was first writing these verses. He himself was rewarded with riches beyond comparison in his own time. That isn't how these blessings cash out for us at this point in salvation history. We can't expect to get a whole lot of stuff as a result of being wise. And yet they do still cash out for us, these promises. Because these material blessings, as painted for us in in Proverbs chapter 8, they are a picture of blessing, of flourishing. Flourishing that comes with wisdom. Or in other words... Wisdom is worth pursuing with all of its moral and ethical implications, not only because it's the right thing to do, though it is, but because it's the best thing to do. It leads to human flourishing, to fruitfulness, to life abundant. And I do wonder if that might be a helpful pushback against what our culture would tend to tell us about living in God's world, and against what we can often tell ourselves, actually. See, whenever the Christian faith or or, or the ethics of the Bible are spoken about in public life, they're often spoken about in terms of of sort of restriction and limitation, aren't they? As if the God of the Bible is a real killjoy who loves nothing more than telling us what we can't do. He's really, he's he's like a fun policeman. He's out to steal people's fun is how he's portrayed. And we might not believe that caricature, but we can't even begin to think a little bit like that as Christians, 
wonder if you are a Christian, if you've ever found yourself daydreaming about the kind of life you might live if you weren't a Christian. Perhaps even based on the life of a friend or a colleague. The standard of living they seem to enjoy. The house and the holidays and the perfect looking family life. And starting to wonder whether they might not be the ones who are truly flourishing, even though they don't seem to pay God and his wisdom any attention at all. Well, the Bible is very clear that the call to follow the wisdom of Jesus is cross-shaped. It will involve saying no, often, to our own desires and impulses. And yet, says Solomon, the pathway to true blessing, to real human flourishing, to living as God made you to live... Well, it isn't to be found in the pursuit of happiness as an end to itself, but in the pursuit of wisdom, of God's wisdom, with all of its ethical and moral contours, such that we listen to him and what he tells us in his word. And that's the first reason we're given, to to listen to Lady Wisdom's call, because she is incomparably valuable, because listening to Lady Wisdom's call will, will lead us into flourishing. That isn't the only reason given, though, as you move on through Proverbs 8, we see that wisdom is worth pursuing because it's as old as the hills. We'll think about that under our second heading this evening. Listen to Lady Wisdom's call because she is foundational, verses 22 to 31. Now, I wonder if you've tried changing utility supplier over the past little while, or maybe opening a new bank account, or bought a new piece of tech, maybe a phone or a tablet or something. If you have, you might have used one of the many comparison websites you can use to do that now, where you type in what you're looking for, and they compare the markets, and they spit out the deals that suit you best. It's simples. But before you punch in those details, lots of them allow you to decide whether you want to compare all providers, all manufacturers, or whether you only want to use the established brands. Do you really want the super cheap tablet, which for all you know was made by a guy in his garage using a couple of bin bags, Or do you want to buy one from Apple or from Samsung, who've got a track record of having been around for a little while and probably had a hand in inventing the devices in the first place? And the reason they do that, that they allow you to filter out the unknown newer brands, is that when you're going to rely on something, whether it's a bank account or a phone, provenance matters. We want to know that a provider, that a manufacturer can be relied upon, that they've been around for a while. And in this next chunk of Proverbs 8, Solomon sets out for us the provenance of Lady Wisdom. Because Lady Wisdom, says Solomon, is as old as the hills. Quite literally. Verse 25. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills... I was brought forth before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. See, this whole chunk of of, of Proverbs 8 from from verses 22 to 31, it's effectively an extract from Lady Wisdom's memoirs. It's as if she's writing down what things were like when she was growing up. And the key feature of her upbringing is that it took place a long, long time ago. As God was creating the world, in fact, that's the key marker in verses 22 to 31. They're all about the creation of the world, aren't they? And about wisdom's place in that creation. Now, why are we being told all of that? Well, I think because we're 
being convinced of Lady Wisdom's provenance. That we really can rely on wisdom. We should be pursuing wisdom because it's literally foundational for the world in which we live. Read with me, for example, verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. The point is made that God exercised wisdom right back at the beginning when he was making the world in which we live. We see the same again in verse 30. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. Wisdom is is woven into the fabric of God's created order. And uh, that does tally with with what we've seen through this series in Proverbs, doesn't it? We've repeatedly defined wisdom like this. It is navigating well through life lived in God's world. And that makes sense when you understand that wisdom was deployed in the creation of that world. Listening to God's wisdom is, is is like following the manufacturer's operating manual, if you like. It tells us how things were meant to work. And again, that does help us to push back against some of the the, the common narratives we might otherwise believe ourselves or pick up from our culture. Because in one sense, most people don't have a problem with accepting that the wisdom of the Bible is old. It's quite clear that it is, isn't it? It was written a long, long time ago. What people do have a problem with, though, is whether that old age is a good thing or a bad thing. Because you see, the Bible's age, the fact that it was written a long, long time ago, well, that's often used to to discredit what it says. The TV series The West Wing, it was an American political drama. It came out in the late 90s and early 2000s. It was hugely popular at the time. And I feel safe enough mentioning it now because it still has a bit of a cult following. So it still is relatively culturally relevant, he says, very hopefully. And there is an episode of that series in which one of the main characters, a man called Toby, he's wrestling with some of the ethics of the Old Testament. And he goes and speaks to a rabbi whose job is to teach the Torah, a chunk of the Old Testament, for a living. And he asks the rabbi what he thinks. And the rabbi responds to Toby by telling him this. For all I know... The thinking of the scriptures reflected the best wisdom of the time. But it's just plain wrong by any modern standard. Now that is how the Bible is often viewed, isn't it? With a a bit of sort of chronological snobbery. It was the best that people could do back then. But it doesn't really cut it today. We know much more now. And that kind of thinking can be really unsettling to hear as a Christian. It can make us wonder whether we're staking our lives on a book that's long since passed its sell-by date. On wisdom that just isn't really fitting for the modern world. But I wonder if you can see that Lady Wisdom is showing us that there is another way of looking at the same set of data, the same set of information. The Bible doesn't try to hide the fact that it's old. But that oldness shouldn't discredit its worth, says Lady Wisdom. If anything, it's the opposite. We should double underline quite how valuable it is. Yes, it's old, older than you might even anticipate. It's literally as old as the hills. And at the same time, it was written by the one who made those hills, who made the earth and everything in it, by the one who made us. 
And that means that what we have in the Bible isn't just the best efforts from people a long time ago to make sense of their own experience, to try and explain the transcendent. What we have, as I mentioned a moment or two ago, is like a maker's operating manual. So of course it helps us to understand how things were really made to work, how we were made to flourish. That's our second point this evening. Listen to Lady Wisdom's call because she is foundational, verses 22 to 31. But there is one final point, one last punch, if you like, in Lady Wisdom's advertising campaign. And we'll think about that now, lastly and briefly. Listen to Lady Wisdom's call to find life. Just read with me again the final three verses of chapter 8 of Proverbs. Verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. Now the stakes are, are really lifted here in this final punch of the advertising campaign, aren't they? So far we've seen that wisdom is the best way to live, it's the path to flourishing. And we've seen why that's the case, because wisdom is baked into the created order of the world in which we live. But here we see that the decision about whether to pursue wisdom or not, well, it's a matter of life or death. Hate wisdom, and we're shown to really love death, says Solomon. Pursue wisdom, though, verse 35, to find life. Now, that isn't how we often treat the wisdom of the Bible. We can often think of pursuing the Bible's wisdom as as being a bit like getting a life coach. It's the way to maximize our experience, our potential as a human being. But can you see that's treating it far too lightly? Wisdom is a very serious thing indeed. But all of that does leave the the, the question that I've kind of left hanging so far. How is it that we obtain it? How do we get the kind of wisdom that Lady Wisdom thinks we should be pursuing above everything else? I've mentioned it a few times implicitly already. But it is mentioned more explicitly in verses 32 and 33. Just listen to those again. Verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. Now we've seen throughout this series that the beginning of wisdom, the fear, sorry, the beginning of navigating well in the world God has made is the fear of the Lord. It's rightly revering him for who he is. And what does that look like in practice? Well, it looks like listening. Listening to the God whose world this is. Listening to what the Bible tells us. And if anything, that's clearer for us now as people living on this side of Jesus than it was for Solomon's first readers. Because, you see, we have seen wisdom himself. We touched on this a few weeks ago. Solomon was the wisest man in history. But when the religious leaders of Jesus' day tried to test him, he reminded them, Matthew chapter 12, that something greater than Solomon is here. That wisdom himself was standing right in front of them. Now, the problem in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life for the religious leaders was that they were too sure of themselves to listen. 
That will very often be our challenge too. See, in the Bible, we encounter Jesus as rescuer. We're right to think of him as such if we are Christians. But we also encounter him as teacher, as Lord. And the question Lady Wisdom poses to us is, will we listen to him? His words are valuable. They are foundational. Listen to them and to what they tell us about ourselves, about God, about our world, and we find life. And so we're right to pray and to ask for his help to do that, to pursue wisdom in a very practical way, spending a quiet time reading the Bible, that we would read the Bible at all this coming week. For there we find wisdom. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you and praise you for the truths of the book of Proverbs. We acknowledge as we reflect on this book the many, many contexts in which we have not behaved wisely in money, in relationships, in work. And we are so very sorry for that. We thank you too that you've shown your great wisdom at the cross of Jesus Christ. You extend grace even to the unwise such as us. And so we ask, Lord, this evening that you would please help us to live as those who are wise in your world. That we would fear you and listen to you. And we would do that for our flourishing and for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.